0: The Future Works, a podcast for workforce professionals hosted by me, Melinda Mack. Welcome to this edition of the Future Works podcast. Today, we're talking with Gina Kraus-Vilmer from Upwardly Global. You might be surprised to learn there's an estimated 2 million immigrants and refugees with college degrees who are currently unemployed or underemployed in the United States. These professionals come to this country with essential skills and experience in sectors that are desperate to hire, healthcare, IT, STEM, engineering, really basically every sector um, is got open jobs right now. And we really could use all of the workers that are available and able to do the work. However, this talent is often overlooked because their education and training took place in their home countries. And instead of getting a good job in their field, these immigrants and refugees end up take, taking survival jobs, working multiple survival jobs with poverty wages. You know, the scientist who's an Uber driver or the doctor who's a home care worker. Of course, this couldn't come at a more important time to have this conversation as we're watching the refugee crisis in the Ukraine unfolding, where millions of refugees are expected to flee to stay safe and on the heels of the Afghan refugee crisis we faced just a few months ago. Over the last two decades, Upwardly Global, also known as UpGlow, has supported more than 18,000 immigrants and refugee professionals in translating their international training to the U.S. job market. Also, at the same time, UpGlow works with employers to help them understand how to access these pipelines of diverse talent, this hidden talent, to create more equitable and inclusive hiring practices. In my conversation with Gina, she's going to share about how they approach their work, the tools that they're using to help people who know how to do the job, get the job in the U.S., and how they are working nationally to change policies to make it easier for immigrants and refugees to translate their skills and credentials. So with that, we hope you enjoy today's show. So I'm here today um, in this episode of The Future Works talking with my colleague and friend Gina from Upworthy Global. Gina, do you want to introduce yourself?
1: Hi, Melinda. So excited to be here. Um, I am the CEO of Upwardly Global.
0: And of course, for folks who don't know what Upwardly Global is, do you mind giving them a quick overview of of what you do, where you're located, um, and sort of the work that Upwardly Global does on a daily basis?
1: Yeah, we are a nonprofit. We were founded 20 years ago, um, and we were founded because we noticed that there were immigrants and refugees who were professionals in their home countries. And when they came to the United States, they were on or underemployed. Um, And this, this was, uh, this means, uh, you know, an Iranian engineer who was working in a chicken factory. This is the um, Turkish data scientist who's working as an Uber driver. And, so we thought, you know, there must be a better way for people to come to United States where they don't have to start from the bottom and they don't have to start from scratch. And we can shift this narrative around immigrants coming to the United States, starting over and sacrificing everything for better opportunities for their children. Instead, how do we best integrate these individuals and include them into our workforce, into our communities so that they can thrive and that they can um, promote shared prosperity for all of us?
0: and how many people are we talking are we talking a couple 100,000 a few million are they you know just on the coast you know where where are the folks who are coming to the united states uh, coming from and where are they going to
1: so there are 2.2 million college educated immigrants and refugees in the united states who are, un- are underemployed and we call that brain waste these individuals are all across the united states mm-hmm. So we predominantly work in um, specific hubs, which includes New York, California, Texas, Washington State, Maryland, Virginia, and the D.C. area, as well as Illinois. Um, These are also the states that have the largest number of immigrants. So there's a a direct correlation. Um, and then I would also say they come here with diverse um, education backgrounds, but the largest number that we're seeing are in business logistics and operations. We're seeing people in technology, finance, healthcare. We're also seeing a lot of lawyers and, and judges coming into the United States as well as engineers. And these are predominantly the people that walk through our doors.
0: Um, and when, when we think about, uh, The types of skills that folks are bringing Um, are are individuals again focused on key sectors. I know you sort of talked about IT, healthcare, finance, um, the legal system. Um, Are folks coming over and they're they wanting to actually work continue to work in those sectors, Um, or are they sort of seeking out sort of new opportunities? Typically,
1: I would say most people want to get back into their career path. Many of these individuals have invested an incredible amount of time and effort in order to build up their careers and their education in order to do this work. Um, I'll give you an example. We have 165,000 internationally trained medical professionals in the United States who are sitting on the sidelines during the pandemic. Now, we have served about 2,000 of these individuals over the years, and when we surveyed them, 95% said, we want to be working on the front lines. We want to be true to the oath that we took as medical professionals. And many of them said they felt like frauds. Um, Now, you know, there's a gamut of industries that people come through. Some of them are in less regulated industries like technology, and some of them are in highly regulated industries like um, healthcare. And what we find is the time- that opportunity cost, the, uh, the cost of relicensing can be incredibly expensive. So for a doctor, it can take anywhere from five to 10 years to relicense and on average, $10,000. You have to retake all three steps of the USMLE. You have to get clinical experience and you have to redo residency, right? And if you were specialized, then you have to redo a fellowship. We find that our doctors actually want to go back and become doctors. That said, many of them can't afford that journey or those costs. And so they do choose alternative pathways, whether it's in public health or whether it's in um, medical research. Um, And and that's really where they want to see themselves. I think the sad thing is, is what we end up seeing is a lot of people who are working low wage jobs and low skill jobs when they could be doing so much more. You know, I,
0: um, I'm nodding along with you um, because, you know, as you know, I've gone through some some health issues recently. And when I came out of surgery uh, a year ago, the person who was my home, my personal care attendant in the room um, was a physician from India. And she, you know, I said, I go, geez, you're so good at all this stuff. Like, you're, <laughs> you're amazing. She's like, well, I used to be a doctor. I said, what do you mean you used to be a doctor? And she sort of described her story and just how challenging it had been. Um, to sort of break in to the medical profession here in the U S one, because she didn't speak the language particularly well, but also because of all of the issues associated with relicensing, but she said she didn't want to not work in healthcare. And so that's why she was working as, as a personal care attendant. Um, But it was to just, as you've described, like to see her dedication to her craft was so inspiring, but also her commitment to the patients. Um, And I left thinking, geez, this is ridiculous that this person is unable to sort of work in her profession. Um,
1: so and I would add, Melinda, like as part of that, sorry to interrupt you, is no, you're good. so many women in some of these cultures, they are really crafting the path forward to become professionals. Uh, my mom comes from India and she was allowed to get a master's degree because it would have made her more marketable in an arranged marriage for the family. Right. And that was how she sold it. And she fought tooth and nail to be able to study and, and get a master's degree with her parents. Um, you know, we have a, a colleague who was a first software engineer, female software engineer, in her company in Saudi Arabia. And she fought really hard to get there. And when she came here, she was working as a bartender. And it was hard for her to get back into that field and it's, it's heartbreaking not only to see people's talent and opportunities and potential being wasted, but also to know for some of these individuals how far the, hard they fought to get there and then to come to the country of opportunity where we have, in theory, better equity and equality for women, and yet we are still undervaluing their talent.
0: Absolutely. My goodness. Jeez, um, I'm going to be thinking about that a lot for the next over the weekend, um, especially having two daughters of my own. Uh, so we've talked a lot about the issues, right? What are some of the programs and services that UpGlow provides? And then who are some of the partners that you work with? I know you have a, an amazing amount of uh, business partners that you have under your wing, uh, but also a lot of education partners as well. So talk a little bit about what UpGlow does and what services you provide, as well as the, the folks that you're working with in terms of organizations across the country.
1: Yes. So we often say that our community, they know how to do the job. They just don't know how to get the job. Um so that comes with a couple of things. One is is it's really difficult for individuals to navigate how do my credentials and skills and qualifications translate into the US market and what jobs would I be competitive for? Um do I need to We don't read- make it easy to
0: to translate that either, right? <laughs>
1: We don't make it easy. And also, oftentimes, like uh, a lot of the work we do with employers is helping recruiters understand how to value international experience and international degrees, because it's really difficult for somebody to see a degree from the University of Baghdad and understand what that means versus the University of George Washington, right? And so there is sort of a knowledge gap, but that also means we just sort of throw CVs into the trash because we just have no way of valuing it. But honestly, a lot of companies just don't value international experience. Um, And that's, that needs to be a culture shift. So for our individuals, we help them understand like, what are their options? Do they need to reskill and upskill? We do have partners, partnerships with Google, Coursera, Microsoft, in order to provide a lot of that upskilling and reskilling for free. And Then we also work on something that people oftentimes undervalue, which is the cross-cultural soft skills that you need in order to be competitive in a US workplace. And I say that this is undervalued because we as a country, um, as employers, expect people to have certain soft skills and that locks out a lot of communities, not just our community. Yet we don't um, value it enough to put a price tag on it, right? So it's not like if you've got adaptive skills, creativity and resilience, you're going to get a higher salary. Um, but if you have, you know, a certificate in JavaScript, Python, or um, AI or PMP project management, you would get a higher um, salary. So I think this uh, myth that soft skills are not valued is a, uh, something that we need to confront because in reality for our community, it's what primarily locks them out of opportunity. Um, so what we do is we do a lot of how do you do job readiness training? How do you do, how do you market yourself? How do you do the U S style storytelling? Um, how do you do sort of what we call the par method problem action result? And how do you translate that into your CV? How do you translate that into your interviews? We do a lot of interview prep. And then I think the other thing is, is, um, poor people who have tried so hard to find jobs. So I'll give you an example. We have this wonderful asylee from Turkey who was a data analyst for the Ministry of Finance, um, was part of the protest movement for uh, democracy. And because of that had to flee the country. So he divorced his wife and he left her and his one-year-old daughter back in Turkey. He came to the United States and he ended up working 18 hours a day, six days a week, three jobs as an Uber driver, as a uh, delivery guy, um, and collecting recycling. And he was barely able to make ends meet. He submitted 300 applications in one month and never got a call back. And we worked with him for three weeks. And now he is working at ADP as a lead data analyst. So it just shows you that sometimes it's really that cross-cultural translation that unlocks people's opportunity and that connection to the employer. Um, The other thing for us that's really important is networks. 85% of jobs in the United States are found through networks. Um, Our communities have absolutely zero networks. And so for us, it's really helping them rebuild employer and professional networks. And so that comes into some of our work that we do with our employer partners. We have wonderful partners from um, Deloitte and Accenture and NBC Universal and Time Warner Media um, and uh, Amazon Now and Microsoft who are all wanting to hire sort of what we call this hidden talent pool and, and this untapped talent. Um, as part of their diversity, equity, and inclusion, but also as part of the incredible pain points this country is facing right now in terms of the workforce.
0: Yeah, I mean, gosh, it couldn't come at a better time, right? When you think about the the fact that everybody is hiring, including I'm hiring, I'm sure you probably are as well, and finding talent has been significantly challenging, um, significantly more challenging than it has in the past. But something that you said really struck me because I think it's also something that we undervalue is that concept of networks and that you you basically hire through networks. That's how people find out about the jobs that you have available. No one sits with the newspaper and circles. And as much as I think LinkedIn and Indeed want to believe that they have cornered the market on, on this world, they, they misunderstand that even that is not accessible for everybody, um, nor is a virtual world enough to get you employed. If your name looks different, if you're, as you said, your credentials look different, um, if you don't have connections with the folks who are doing the hiring, um and so I, you know you really said something that sort of again moved me around thinking about this concept of networks and how we allow that hidden talent to create their own networks or how they network towards other networks in order to get access to opportunity. And so
1: again, thank you for sharing that. Um, and so I, would I think add that there's, two oh, things oh, go ahead to please. that Melinda, which is for women, it's particularly hard because most women are also time poor. And there are not natural spaces for women to go to where they can actually make connections, right? There are not enough public spaces where women can actually then make connections. So I would say it's also harder for our women immigrants and refugee community. And then the second thing I'd say is, is, you know, even tools like LinkedIn, which are incredible, they have an opportunity to imagine how do you actually connect with somebody that is seven to 10 times removed? Because really, who you're connecting with is somebody who's one, two, or three times removed. So you're really expanding the space of privilege, but it's still a space of privilege. Um, and so I, I really think there is something to solve around this uh, network challenge.
0: And, I'm so glad I'm getting to talk to you because this is also insightful. Um, I'm sure that there you have thought a lot about policy changes that would make your work easier, but also um, the lives of the the immigrants, the refugees, the asylees that are coming to this country easier in terms of connecting to employment. Um, What are some of the things that you're working on now in DC and here in New York state?
1: So um, one of the things that we're working on is is actually with Representative Katko uh, about a year ago, we had co-drafted with him and a coalition of partners uh, the Opportunities for New American Act. And that was really to start to acknowledge that there are barriers for this population um, to access opportunity and to to designate to the Department of Labor to actually look at what those barriers are so that we could start chipping away at them. Um, And the reason why this is important is, is like, even if you look at upstate New York, immigrants and refugees have really helped um, economies revitalize, you know, uh, in upstate New York, you have about 6.5 immigrants, but they contribute 8% to the GDP of the state of New York. They provide 7.7% of the spending power and they're 8.6% of our entrepreneurs. Um, New York state is also the third state that receives the largest number of refugees, right? And most of those refugees actually get resettled in upstate New York. Um, And so I think, you know, this... uh, This study is so critical because it allows us to actually acknowledge that when we look at WIOA, when we look at these other funding mechanisms, that there are barriers for our population to be designated in order to receive services. And part of that is is because people cannot imagine how you could be educated and poor. And you can be educated and you can be poor at the exact same time. And usually if you are, it's because you're, you're an immigrant or you're a refugee. Um, So I think that's part of uh, something we've been working on. The other thing that we're really excited about is is in the state of Illinois, we have just supported the passage of an emergency um, act, which would allow foreign trained doctors to serve in direct clinical roles, specifically to help the COVID response um now these doctors would be working um in simplified protocols under a US licensed physician but this is really helping to get more doctors um on uh in the hospitals to be supporting um so you know that that woman from India could potentially be actually working in her field supporting the response on covid and getting clinical experience that she needs if she ever wants to reapply for um uh to to relicense The last thing I would say that we really think is critical to push is um, thinking about um, expanding the Work Opportunities Tax Credit uh, to really include our communities. Um, So expand its current workforce development programs and for employers in particular, the Work Opportunities Tax Credit. which are targeted towards underrepresented communities and doesn't technically include our community at this time. And so I think that's something that we would love to see um, move forward.
0: Thank you. And I will certainly follow up with you on on all of those. And if there's ways that NIATEP can be helpful, um, always let me know. Um, And then I would love to hear just your perspective, obviously on the the influx of, of Afghan refugees and soon to be Ukrainian refugees likely coming to the US. Um, What are some of the ways that UpGlow has been involved? Um, And of course, how are you expecting to be involved um, with the potential Ukrainian refugees coming to to our state?
1: You know, it's interesting. One of the trends that we're seeing on the global um, scene is, is that we have more and more middle income countries where people are at higher levels of education, higher number of professionals. That are experiencing conflict, and you're starting to see these refugee flows. We saw it with Venezuela, we saw it with Syria, and now, and we've seen it now with sort of the Afghan population that's come into the United States, and now we're seeing it with Ukraine. Um, so I think this is just a general acknowledgement as well: is, is that in workforce inclusion programs, we also need to start having differentiated programs that support these college-educated professionals in reintegrating into the workforce, because most of our workforce programs are not targeted to that population, um, nor are there any differentiated services for that. I will say, however, uh, the state of New York, the Office of New Americans, has been working with job centers across the state to build this, uh, these differentiated services into their portfolio, which I think is amazing. Um, and that's something Upwardly Global is supporting. Um, With the Afghan crisis, you know, we had 100,000 Afghans. These were people who served with the U.S. military and the U.S. government in roles, either as technicians and contractors and fixers, as we call them, or as the IT specialists or the embassy staff or the logisticians that helped keep our operations in Afghanistan up and running. Um, And they had had to evacuate because Afghanistan fell, the United States left, and they and their families were at risk. They were housed in over eight military bases across the country for a period of nine months. Most of, all of those bases now are closed. They officially closed in March, all of them, um, and they have been resettled across the country we estimate that about 20 to 30% of them are professionals. So out of those working age, they are professionals with English language proficiency. So that is somewhat unique because we have a really clear sense that we have about 13 to 15,000 of these individuals that fit into our market segment. I would say about 30 to 40% of those we estimate are English language proficient, but technicians. Um, so these are the fixers, the palmers, the electricians, um, the technicians. And we had did mobilize on all bases to provide on-site career services to help these individuals get into professions. Um, we mobilized on the bases in November, and we have placed already 70 Afghans, earning on average $65,000 a year. The largest um, professions they come in are about 33% are in business logistics and operations. Um, then about 12% are in finance, and then pretty cut evenly, you've got about 10% in IT, 10% in engineering, um, and 10% in healthcare. So uh, they are absolutely able to, to uh, support mid and high skilled demand roles that we know we have a lot of right now as well. Um, and the second thing that we've done is is we've actually open. We have uh, digital tools. Uh, we have an online learning management system where we've developed our own content and training that's specifically targeted towards sort of the cross-cultural lens of the immigrant refugee community, trying to integrate into the U.S. workforce. Um, and we've basically made that available and free for anybody. Um, and just in a two-month time frame, we've had 3,300 users on that site taking online courses, which has been great. Um, And then we've also seen a huge mobilization of employers. Uh, We do a diversity, equity, and inclusion working group for employers. It's a Chatham House Rules closed group where we help people imagine immigrants and refugees as also part of diversity, equity, inclusion because they're not one of the the metrics (laughs) that people um, evaluate. And and one of the reasons we think this is critical also is because we know that in 2050, 83% of the growth in our working age population is gonna come from immigrants and the children of immigrants. So the better equipped we are as companies to help include and integrate this population to be an organizational asset, uh, the better our future uh, co- competitiveness will also be. And um, we had a lot of company, new companies come to us. And I would say largely because of the veteran groups within these companies, um, the, the vets are really mobilized around this. Um, Amazon came to us, NBC Universal came to us um, as part of this, Walmart came to us, Tyson's, um, really companies that you don't usually think of mid and high skill roles, um, but also trying to imagine what that would look for in their mid and high skill roles in terms of inclusion. Um, so that was Afghan response. As we're looking towards Ukraine, we're also seeing a large group of professionals coming out of Ukraine. Um, and so it's it's the same question of how do we help these individuals set up and resettle. We, current estimates are that there will be up to 4 million Ukrainians fleeing. The reality is, is, is that number is likely to be much higher. It's going to be closer to 5 to 10 million. And those individuals will either be displaced for longer than we would like, because the war will take longer, or there will be so much destruction that people will need savings and support in order to go back. And we're already seeing, Ukraine is one of the top seven countries that has always relied on remittances. We've already seen a 50% increase in remittances. And we've seen um, that largely coming from the Ukraine community in the United States. So we know people are trying to send money back to support families, and they also will eventually need to earn money, these refugees, in order to support themselves and their families back home and the reconstruction when it happens, which is the optimist in me.
0: I'm so glad that there's someone like you and your organization that's paying attention to this, um, but also um, to go back to uh, framing you used earlier, um, engaging employers around this concept of hidden talent, um, but also in many ways giving um, immigrants and refugees like hope that there is a better life here. You don't always have to drive a taxi. If you want to, Great. Great. If you don't want to, we can take what you've already learned and really make sure that you're getting onto the path that you need to in order to be able to achieve the goals that you have, which may be, as you as you've described, going home at some point, right? Going home and setting up shop and maybe even taking what you've learned now in the U.S. and using that within your own country. Um, If there's ways that folks want to connect with you or get involved or learn more about how they can become an organization that's more open to middle-skill and high-skill immigrants, what should folks do? Should they reach out to you directly? Is there a team that folks work with at UpGlow?
1: Yeah, so if you go to upwardlyglobal.org, we do have a section specifically for corporations. If you're a corporation that's wanting to either have some employee engagement, wanting to engage in diversity, equity, and inclusion, or wanting to look at talent pipelines from this population. And then obviously, if you're um, an organization that's supporting and seeing these job seekers enter into your doors, um, you can also have them be referred to us and also go on our website. And we have a whole section on job seekers, who's eligible and how they apply.
0: Excellent. And if folks are interested to get more involved in the Afghan response or the potential Ukrainian response, I'm sure that will also be prevalent right there on the website. Is that right?
1: Yeah, we have right now a separate page for Afghan response, and uh, we're looking at developing one for Ukraine response, too.
0: Okay, terrific.
1: Gina, thank you
0: so much. I hope you have a wonderful weekend, and I I so appreciate you taking the time to teach all of us these things today, um, but also uh, to get the opportunity to learn from you as well.
1: Melinda, I love this conversation. Thank you. Of course. Did you like what you
0: listened to? You can download previous episodes at our website, niatep.org or on Apple or Spotify.